Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. Today, I am interviewing Jeff Myers. We're talking about the mental edge, how to perform at our highest level. I want to bring this straight to the point of we all do something. Are you a parent, a lawyer, an actress, a podcaster, a realtor, a soccer player, a salesperson, a teacher, a socialite? Whatever it is that you do, staying in a space of peak performance is the surest way to find success in being your best you. Today, I'm talking with the originator of The Mental Edge, a consulting firm that offers sports and management consulting to athletes. And it's all about the science of developing that mental toughness and the mental techniques that keep us at our sharpest. Guess what? Some of it is all about the stories that we tell ourselves. So as I talk with Jeff, stay tuned for this interview and we'll see how this mental edge has to do with story. He's from Colorado, and today, by the time we're done, we'll walk away with four techniques to help you keep your mental edge in whoever you are and whatever you do. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. Jeff Myers has worked with over 2,500 clients, from pro athletes, performers, coaches, administrators, and corporations. Jeff is from Colorado and earned his bachelor's degree in social psychological kinesiology. I think I'm pronouncing that right. (laughs) He went on to earn a master's degree in pedagogy, both from the University of Northern Colorado. Jeff has coached men's basketball for 29 years at Division I, Division II, and high school levels. Jeff's also a popular speaker with corporations and universities and athletic teams. And as a speaker... His keynote has inspired thousands about how they can use that mental toughness to be more successful in today's competitive climate. So, Jeff, welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Lori. Since we talk about story, let's start with your story. How did you get started training minds instead of just bodies? Well, it's a funny thing how life takes you on these turns. And, uh, you know, I studied this in college and didn't really do anything, coached men's basketball. And just throughout my years, I just realized it's like, man, we spend so much time on the body and I don't spend any time developing them mentally. And so when I decided to kind of retire from coaching, I had a really good friend, a mutual friend of ours, reach out to me and said, Hey, I want you to, uh, can you work with our daughter? She's really struggling mentally. She was a really elite gymnast. And long story short, I started working with her. The owner of the gym that she went to said, hey, what have you been doing? And she said, well, I've been working with this guy. So, And the owner of the gym said, I want to meet him. So we met and three months into it, I was working with 60 athletes. And I had another full-time job at the time. And my wonderful wife, she's the best thing that's ever happened to me. She said, I came home and I said, I just got another 11 athletes. 
And she said, figure out a way to do this full time and quit your other job. Not a lot of women would do that. It's nice to have that kind of support. I want to hear, what was it that you started doing with this young gymnast that was so effective that all of a sudden other athletes would, you know, their antennas would perk up and think, I want that. I think athletes are ready and willing right now to tie the mental into the physical. And I not only tie that, but I teach them about heart intelligence, which most athletes just think their heart is a pump. And I teach them different things. And so when they started seeing maybe some different things in this one gymnast, it's like she's performing better. She enjoys it more. It's not such a task all the time, a struggle. And so those type of things. And then, you know, I I would teach things like uh, I teach polysensory visualization. I teach every athlete I work with uh, how to meditate. I teach them to be still in our society. That's a very hard thing to do. How long did it take you? So let's name this gymnast. Kaya. Kaya. So how long did it take you working with her before she started seeing these changes. And where was she when she started? Was she getting injured? Was she disliking her sport? Was she just not performing at the level she wanted to? Where did she start? So it was a kind of a combination of a little bit, you know, as a gymnast, man, they, you know, there it's a, it's a demanding sport. And I think she was at the gym, I think 30 hours a week as a high school student. So, you know, it's another full-time job. Yeah, that's incredible. So mentally, it just can get really fatiguing and how to maybe change the mental aspect of just going to practice, you know, being more mindful at practice. And so some of the things that I think she saw a difference in is she actually started to like going to practice again, which you know, you love the sport, but there are days where practices, it's like, man, what am I here? You know, it's a really mental struggle. And so developing some of these techniques and habits that most athletes don't develop. And I don't mean just to, to use just athletes. I mean, this is great for anybody. It's just like you said in the opening, you know, we all have a sport. They're just different things that we do. You know, I was thinking the same thing when you said that. I was thinking that's such a mainstream thing that can be applied. Whatever it is we're doing some days, like we know that we're investing in something worthwhile, something that we want to have in our life. Maybe it's parenting. Maybe it's just a job that we've been at a long time and we're doing it and it's tiring. You know, there's repetition and things that aren't really novel and new and keeping us super excited, but we keep at it. But if we implement these mental techniques and tools to help us, we can find more enjoyment because we choose to have those things in our lives and we want to do well at them. But every day isn't a a ride on cloud nine. You know, sometimes those days are just perseverance. Yeah. Resilience, building this resilience. Athletes are, you know, they're phenomenal at that, but then you know, they show up and if they're not mindful, it becomes such a drain, an energy drain where things are just, it's such a struggle, you know, and especially at a younger age, you know, I mean, these gymnasts start when they're seven, eight, nine years old, and then they've been doing it for 10 years. You name a normal kid that's done something for 10 years at that kind of level, it gets so demanding. And that's kind of the struggle. And so, and especially the age. And so, 
teaching in these skills to one of the things that was really great with Kaya is it, it maybe um, it just she brought her heart into it and she really started to enjoy it again. How did you get her to do that? How does someone start playing with their heart instead of getting stuck in the routine? I believe anything that we do, if we add our heart to it, it will be better. How do we do that? And so our heart, it's just awesome. Most people think it's pump, but there's actually neurons in our heart. And our heart sends messages to our brain, actually 60 times more messages to our brain than our brain does to our heart. And so if we could connect with that, that's one of the things that I would teach is to feel more. We go throughout life without feeling much. We become numb at certain things. And as an athlete, I think she was numb just kind of practicing, just on autopilot, going and doing it because she knows she has to do it to be good. But when I teach, it's like, okay, in the visualization, you know, we bring up these different emotions on how she, you know, in one meet, she had, you know, a, a phenomenal score. And bringing up those kind of emotions that help you get through some of those really tough times. Mm, I like that. I like that recreating that visually, having that to go back on and to to buoy you up when it's not at yeah. that high point. Yeah. Oh, that makes yeah. sense. Really important. And most athletes don't do it. Matter of fact, I work with a lot of coaches and I ask coaches, I say, okay, what's the emotional response to your player when they see you? That tells me a lot about how you coach. Are you a negative type of guy where the player sees you and they run? You know, that's not a good thing. And so how we develop that kind of emotional response, coaches, you know, when I grew up, it was all negative. That's how they motivated you. It was all a negative type thing. And in life, you're going to have bosses like that. And so how do we deal with those type of things is, I think, really important. And developing, if we have this more heart in it, I think we can become happier people. So I'm taking a mindfulness class right now that's really interesting because it's very slow. They are teaching us to be very still and eating mindfully. And we do like a 45-minute daily body scan. To scan your body in 45 minutes is to move across it very slowly. (laughs) And one of the things that I notice, and this is twofold here, but we do move through a lot of pain. And even with our food, sometimes we are moving through it so quickly. But when you slow down, it brings some of that pain and stuff to the forefront. So this is the bad side of mindfulness to me that in an observational standpoint. When I'm scanning my body really slowly, I can feel pains and pressures that I oftentimes ignore, right? In that space, I'm like, I don't want to really be mindful of all that pain. And I noticed this week when we were doing mindfulness about eating food that if I pay too much attention to the texture of my sushi, it's not as good as if I just (laughs) eat it, you know? So sometimes too much mindfulness isn't as effective as it needs to be. This is my perspective, but you as a mindfulness coach, what do you notice? Because I think that the being mindful of what you're engaging in and how your body is working and what your emotional response is, what your emotional response to other people is, and not just like rushing through it all, but at least being mindful enough to be present, you know, present in the moment, present with your body, present with your interactions, that that level of mindfulness 
mindfulness is very beautiful to the experience itself because then you become present and attached and mindful about what your actions are moving forward. Tell me your thoughts about how you bring in mindfulness. That's so great. So, you know, as a coach or a leader or a boss, I can guarantee you that people know when you're present and when you're not. You can ask a question and if you're not waiting mindfully for the answer, they know it. You know, and so, and I know for me, the best part of coaching is for me to develop a mindful, a present relationship with each player. They know that when I talk to them, that I'm present with them. And that is just so important. That builds a whole team chemistry in a much fluid, liquid type way. And they know you care. You know, it's that old saying, you know, about caring. And I think that's just so important. I think, uh, you know, a lot of coaches, the louder you scream, that's what they think coaching is, right? And that's, I remember my coach. And I remember when I was a younger coach, I coached like him. And I actually one day looked in the mirror and I said, that's not you. I'm not six foot 11. I don't have a thundering voice. I'm five eight with my, uh, Nike's on, you know, and uh, I remember looking in the mirror one day, I was probably 35 years old and said, Shakespeare, to thine own self be true. I just wasn't being true. I was coaching like the coach that coached me. And that wasn't me. And when I finally developed my own style, like when I wanted to get a point across, I would go up and put my arm around a player and say, this is what we need to do. Instead of yelling, developing those type of relationships. I actually knew when birthdays were, things like that. It really helped develop my team and we became such a better team. I love that point. And I automatically want to transition this, let's say, into parenting, right? Your kids are going to know when you're fully present with them. And if you're coming from your heart and those days where parenting is really redundant and and even those down days when your kids have made a mess and you're ready to pull your hair out, these techniques you've already shared, you know, go to that time where you saw their little smile or that, that time where there was a really nice heart payoff and go back to that during the hard times, right? That's where you bring that heart in. Yeah. And then... You know, I'm sure there are times of visualization where as a parent, as you're falling asleep, visualize yourself performing at your peak level as a parent, who you want to be, what you want that to look like. And then those times of mindfulness that when you're with your children, be with your children. It doesn't do, you know, we're not good. We think that we can multitask, but it's been proven that the brain does not multitask. When you're doing one thing, it automatically takes energy and focus away from another. So while your hands can do something and your mind can, you know, do something else, you're not really multitasking. So being present and mindful with your children, they will know that. They will gain something more from it, as will you, right? So all of these, oh, I'm yeah. just using parenting yeah. as, you know, a step well, away from athletics, but, you know, take this into anything that you do. You know, and parent, it's great because now I'm on the other side. Our youngest daughter just moved out. Um, she's going to school. And so we're on the other side. We're empty nesters. We have four bedrooms that are sitting empty right now. So I thought about setting up a bed and breakfast or something. Anyway, but uh, I look at this and I think to myself, okay, now I can learn from all the mistakes I made on my children and teach my grandchildren. 
And so I'm actually, I try to, you know, we get on Marco and I try to Marco for my daughters. And I just did this one time and, and I said, here's something that you guys could learn from is being a better parent. And they really liked it. And so they texted me back and they said, hey, dad, you should do that every week. And so I'm going to start doing that every week. So one of the things that I'm going to teach them this week is I want them to have a board for their grandkids. I have five grandkids and one on the way. And so this little board is going to be, I can do something hard, something like that. And every week, the, the child is going to pick something out that they think is hard. They're going to write it down and they're going to work on it until they finish it. You cannot let them not finish it. They have to finish it. I love this idea. And so every time they do something hard, they get something. They're going to get, you know, and sometimes I told them it's going to be just a slap on the back and say, that is so great. I'm so proud of you. Just that. But we, I deal with athletes a lot and they run into these hard things and a lot of kids are not prepared to have this kind of resilience. And so if we could just do that one thing with little youngsters running around saying, okay, you know, I have a, I have a grandson who's just learning how to tie a shoe, you know, and it's like, he thinks it's hard sometimes, you know? And so it's like you, you know, now obviously he's not going to quit because he's going to learn how to tie his shoes, you know, but just keep, keep at that. And then once it's done, then you find something else that's hard. And it gives them such a sense of accomplishment that when they're a senior in high school and they're going up to take the SATs or something like this, it's like, man, I've got this. You know, my past is just, I've done so many things that are hard. So one of the things I work with when I work with athletes, and I teach this with everybody I work with, is every morning, and some people have already heard it, some people haven't, but every morning I have my athletes, they have to wake up and take a cold shower. That's it. When they wake up, it's 100% cold water, and that's the first thing you deal with every morning. It's not easy. It is a mental challenge. It's not going to kill you. The best people have learned to make you know, the really hard things easy or the un- uncomfortable things comfortable. You know, in our society, our lives tend to be more, I just want to be comfortable. That's my goal. I just want to be comfortable. And I teach my athletes a saying that every day they wake up and it says, I will be comfortable no more. This is not my life. Why? I want to be comfortable. Because, (laughs) because, and this is what I tell them, comfortable is set in mediocrity. Ah, you want to be comfortable, then you can go sit on the couch and watch TV just like everybody, not everybody. <laughs> but now I'm not saying do these crazy, crazy things, but mentally, you know, just the cold shower in the morning, it's just a little mental challenge. There's a lot of physiological things that are really great for you because of it, but it's a mental challenge. It's something that is a little demanding for a minute or two, but when you're done with it, you start the day off thinking, I just did something that's pretty hard. Well, you know what I think is brilliant? Brilliant is this idea of starting this with young kids because we can do hard things. We will do hard things. We have to do hard things to make it through this life in any kind of decent shape because life is just, that's what the ballgame is. But to teach children 
from the time that they're young. And of course, just as you indicated with the tying the shoes, it's that way on a spiritual and mental level. Also, we learn line upon line, precept upon precept, and we start with easier things and they get harder and harder and harder. But unless we stop and really look at that, I don't think we necessarily realize how much we progress. And of course, everyone's progressing at different levels and at different speeds. But, you know, hopefully, as we're learning and growing, the things that we could handle 10 years ago, we're stronger now, hopefully, you know, that that we can do more and be better and that we've gained some muscle and some insight and some wisdom now compared to then. And it often happens so slowly and in, in ways that we, that are not blatant to us. So we don't realize that we're stronger. We don't realize that we've necessarily done more. But this board that you're suggesting with children helps to them to visualize this, to understand, oh my gosh, I can do hard things. And because they know, because they've done it over and over as they grew up, because they know they can do hard things, when those hard things hit, they can embrace them rather than shrink away from them. And that is an absolute recipe for self-confidence, for stretching, for being their best selves. What a brilliant teaching tool. I look at it, we, and it's with anybody. You know, it's not just with athletes. You know, it's it can be the you know the mom. She can actually have something. It's like you know, I know my two oldest are married. My two youngest aren't. My two older, you know, one she works full time at home, and she has one of her kids at home. And then my other daughter is a full time mom, and she has three kids and one on the way. And the oldest one's five. So I see their challenges and their struggles and how mentally. And then if we take that mental energy and take it to our heart, we deal with our children in a different way because it's more heartfelt. The kids feel the love where it could be frustrated. I Just the other day, my daughter said I spent an hour and a half folding laundry in a big laundry basket. She folded everything up and was going to carry it downstairs. And her little three-year-old decided to kick it down the the stairs. Oh no. And so there goes all the clothes <laughs> flying and stuff. And she goes, I'm so frustrated. And so that frustration, if we could turn that and take that energy and take it into our heart and say, man, someday he's not going to be here. He's going to be 25 years old, you know, doing other things and, and how we can deal with that in such a more loving and kind way. Not to say that she didn't, but you know, that frustration sure. and everybody has felt it. You know, we all feel it. We feel it at work every day. We feel it. And I just don't think our society, we have this electromagnetic field that is radiated from our heart. And they've done studies where it can be measured three to 10 feet away from us. And so this field that we have, it can radiate or it can help or hurt other people, which is crazy to think. But I just read a study about a dog and a boy. And they hooked them up with these monitors. They were in two different rooms. They had the boy. Now, these two, they loved each other. And so these monitors, they walked the boy into the room. He was told he couldn't touch the dog at all. They could just look at each other. And so they walked in and instantly their heart rhythms, they were synchronized in a loving heart pattern. That's fascinating. Which to me... I'm just like, if we, if that can happen, think of what a calmness and a love that we could radiate to our family 
you know, we all have people in our lives that it's like, man, that guy, I do not want to be around him. There's a feeling that uh, it's like I'm staying away from him. Absolutely. And then there's other people that you want to invite in. Mm-hmm. It's like, please, I want more of you. When I'm around you, I feel better. Absolutely. And so they're learning this if we add, if we understand more about our heart and add heart to everything that we do. So look, you're an author, you, you know, it's a crazy, but just think if we were more intuitive about what words we should write in a sentence. And what words we should say. And exactly. what energy should be behind those words as we speak with one another. So we've talked about three techniques here. We've talked about this really the power of your heart. We've talked about being still and visualizing. And let's talk a little bit about comparison. One of the things that you talk about in techniques that as you train your athletes is not to go to a place of comparison with others. Tell me about that. Okay. I read this quote and I don't know where it was from. So I'd give them credit. I can't remember. It was probably 30 years ago, but it stuck with me for my you know, for 30 something years teaching athletes is comparison is the thief of joy and athletes. That's all they do is it's like, I'm not as good as him or I'm not as good as her. And they're always comparing and that steals your attention. That steals your emotional energy that steals everything that you could be developing. And it takes it away because you're thinking more about the person than you are about yourself. And you know what? We all do it on such a regular basis, even when we don't mean to, unless we actively stop ourselves. And the reason that I can see this isn't so much about athletes, but just about, well, for everyone across the board, is that we are different people with different skills and different abilities, even athletes in the same game. Let's say it's basketball, right? One of them might have height and a better, you know, three-point shot. And one of them has, you know, is really fast on their feet and, you know, a great dribbler. I mean, who knows? Everybody's got a different skill set, though. So, you're going to be working on other skill sets. And, you know, it's the same thing with parenting and Etsy and, you know, the comparison of social media. And when you start comparing, there's always going to be people that are better than you at things and people that are worse than you at things. And everybody's on a different growth path and a different understanding path and a different development path and a different set of talents and skills. So, the comparison becomes completely negative, really, and completely destructive and completely unnecessary is the thing. You're comparing apples and oranges all the time. Even if you're comparing two human mothers, you're still comparing apples and oranges because those two human mothers come from different places. They have different families, different backgrounds that they're coming from, different abilities, different ways that they might want to raise their children. There's just no place really for comparison to be a healthy thing. Yeah. I really, that's one of the things that I really try working is have them understand that it's actually stealing time that you could be getting better, you know, where you're focused so much on, you know, and we all think competition and all this stuff is so great. And I try to teach them that the competition is fun, but it shouldn't be taking over your life. The, the more we develop ourselves, the better athletes we'll become. The more we develop, you know, if you're CEO of a company, right? The more we develop ourselves, the better the business gets. So that kind of information, you know, and it, another thing that I really work on, and this is a, a weird thing to sit down and have a, you know, a six foot six, 300 pound lineman. And I talk to him about forgiveness 
and how important forgiveness is for everybody. And especially, you know, when I talk to athletes, it's like, you know, and I asked an athlete just the other day, I said, have you forgiven yourself? And he looked at me like, you know, and he's a big lineman. And he looked at me like, what do you mean? And I said, well, you had a terrible game last week. Have you forgiven yourself for that game? Because if you don't forgive yourself, you keep looking back at the past. Mm. And that's doing nothing good. You're building these motor neurons and you're, you're building these deep tracks. And the more you look back, the more negative you get. So until you forgive yourself and you're able to move on, the better you will be, the quicker you will be. So that's a time waster also. So comparing with other people is a time waster that doesn't garner positive results. And looking backwards, being stuck in the past, waste your time of moving forward also. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, exactly. You know, and the forgiveness thing, you know, there's a bunch of studies out there. If you, you look what it does physiologically, I mean, you get stronger, your speed increases. So there's a lot of reasons why I'm doing this. You know, you're quicker on your feet. You're more mentally clear when you have forgiven. And, and not only if you've had a struggle with somebody, but it's also to you. It's in your heart. Have you forgiven yourself? And the studies behind this say that you're physiologically, you're faster. You can jump higher. You're stronger. All these different things if you let go of some of this negative energy. Whatever we focus on, we create more of. And so that makes perfect sense because if in our mental edge, we're focusing on negative things, whether it's comparison or looking backwards, not forgiving ourselves for a mistake, whatever it is, that's what we're focused on. That's what where we're sending a lot of our energy. So we don't have that energy to jump higher, to do better, to love better, to move in the direction we want to because it's caught up someplace else. And it's not always easy to take it out of those places, but I think that's the mental work. And it sounds like you know, as we close up here today, that that's the mental work you're helping these athletes to do so that they can focus their energy in the directions of moving forward and keeping that sharp mental edge. Yeah. You know, and it's really critical. You know, one of the things I talk a lot about, it's called psychophysiological coherence. It just means all our systems are working together. And we call that the zone or flow state. But it's like I said, you can be a mom folding clothes. And if you can get in this state, everything is better. You can be, you know, working at McDonald's, taking a thousand orders, you know, and things are crazy. If you can get in this state, things become easier. I heard a great, and I can't remember who said it, but they said the flow state for a person, and this is not talking athletics, this is talking in our life is when you become non-existent. And I mm. thought to myself, there's no time, there's no thought, there's no state. You're actually thinking to doing to being. You know, great example is when we drive in a car. You're thinking all the time, do I push the clutch in? Well, if you have a clutch, you know. But it's like, I got all these things to think about. And then eventually, you start doing it, right? You're jumping curbs, you know, with your dad in the car. This has actually happened to me before. <laughs> with I've had three daughters and one son. So, and then you get to a point where you're being a driver. There's no thought. You're just doing it, you know? And so it can be with anything that we do. When you're writing a book, you've probably had times in your, your life when you were writing where it's just like, where did that come from? Right? Non-existent. 
there have been a few and they're beautiful and they require no editing. I mean, it's just this really wonderful spot. I wish I could stay in all the time. (laughs) And so that's what I try to train athletes to do is to be able to be more in tune so that that can happen. Mm, That flow state. And it's just important for all, you know, and just real quick, I've had people reach out to me. I've had lawyers and doctors and entertainers in the last five years when I started my company, it's really developed into more than just, I've worked with uh, UC Health. So I've worked with, you know, a, a big health organization. So it's all encompassing. And if we just add more heart to whatever we do, it just is better. Awesome. Where can people find you if they want to get more information or talk to you more about keeping their mental edge sharp? So here's the thing. I'm in the process of developing a whole new website and everything. And and the website actually is going to be named Mental Rhythm. So we're going to have the mental part and the rhythm is the heart. And so mental, mental rhythm. So it's not quite done yet. Should be done here in about a week or a week and a half. They can catch me on my Instagram is where it just seems to be easiest. It's at Jeff Meyer Mental Edge. Awesome. And, and I'll put stuff out there on my new website and things like that. Okay. And in the show notes, when this runs, I'll have all of his links for social media. If you want to hop on the website at loveyourstorypodcast.com and go through those show notes. Jeff, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much. This was awesome. Yeah. Great to talk with you. Yeah. Mike Vasevic, the author of No Limits, Mastering the Mental Edge, said, quote, focus your thoughts on what you want in every area of your life. The more you think and focus on something, the more you will bring energy to it and make it happen, unquote. We know this is true, that what we focus on, we create. But the tools shared by Jeff today help us speed up that creation and production. If we are sending positive messages to ourselves and out into the world about the things we are creating, if we are visualizing and following our heart and putting that energy into it, if we don't let comparison and negative self-talk block us, then we are on the fast track of creating and manifesting, keeping this mentally sharp edge. Creating your best life story on purpose is part of what we do here Today's episode has just given you a reminder of some tools that you can practice today and this week. So that's your challenge for this week. Take these tools, these four tools of visualization, of being still and present in the moment, of forgiveness, of trying to come from the heart when you are in those spaces of tapping into what your heart feels like and the heart energy that you are putting out. Practice some of these this week and see how it changes up the responses that you get within yourself and from other people. Thank you for being here. A new announcement from the Love Your Story platform, which is I started a new product and it's called Tell Your Story. So would you like to capture some of your life story? Would you like to tell your story? This option is now open for everyone. I will work with you on an interview format to tell the story that you want to tell and share with your posterity or whomever your audience is. And we'll record 
edit, shine, and get it on your own audio files. And if you want, you can also opt for transcripts. If you want to tell your story, drop me a line for more information. Or if someone in your family, if you have an aging parent or a grandparent or an aunt or uncle, or you're trying to collect these family stories, that's where this comes in. So you can drop me a line for more information or check out the details on loveyourstorypodcast.com. Have a great week, people, creating your best life story.